Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome back to Misconduct. I'm your host, Colleen. I just wanted to take a quick moment to say that I hope everybody had a nice holiday season. Uh, This is the last episode of 2019, and it's been a really crazy year. I wasn't sure what it would be like putting out episodes solo, but now that I'm an entire year in, I'm really glad that I decided to move forward and do it alone, and I'm looking forward to bringing you more episodes in 2020. This episode was recommended to me by my coworker Audrey, and it takes us out of the United States and over to Hong Kong, and it was one of the most widely covered trials in the Hong Kong press in the early 2000s. Robert Kissel was a high-profile investment banker who had moved with his wife Nancy and their three children to Hong Kong in 1998. While living there, Robert and Nancy settled into the already established expatriate community of wealthy Americans who were living in Hong Kong. They lived in a large upscale apartment building with other expats who were in their similar situation. Their husbands worked long hours and their wives stayed home to care for their children and they tried their best to settle into living in a different country. Robert moved from the U.S. to take a position with Goldman Sachs, and then he later moved on to Merrill Lynch. He was reportedly making well over $2 million a year between his base salary, his bonuses, and his commissions. According to those who knew Robert and Nancy, he was professional and hardworking, and she was devoted to her family and her children. So when Nancy was arrested on November 6, 2003 for killing Robert four days prior, most of their friends and family couldn't believe what they were being told. This episode will take us through the events leading up to the murder on November 2, 2003, and the trial where two conflicting stories emerged. Was Nancy acting in self-defense to put an end to Robert's alleged ever-increasing violent behavior, or was Robert murdered to avoid a messy divorce and to keep their fortune intact? Nancy and Robert Kissel were married in the United States in 1989 after dating for two years. They lived together in New York while Robert attended NYU, and Nancy, who had already graduated, worked to support the two while Robert completed his finance degree. 
According to Nancy, she had put her own career on the side to support Roberts. He graduated in 1991, and in 1998, he was offered a position with Goldman Sachs in their Hong Kong offices, so he and his family moved from New York and settled into their new life. Robert spent the vast majority of his time working, so Nancy was left to bond with the other wives of the high-powered American businessmen who lived in their building. According to those who knew her, she was very dedicated to her family, especially her three children. By 2003, the Kissels were worth nearly $18 million from Robert's lucrative career. Although they lived a luxurious lifestyle and finances were not a problem for them, their marriage was greatly suffering due to other issues. Outwardly, the two seemed happy enough, and neither one were noted to have any major anger issues. However, according to Nancy, behind closed doors, it was an entirely different story. Nancy would later allege that when the family moved to Hong Kong, Robert became addicted to cocaine and alcohol. When he was using, he would be violently abusive towards her, and she feared for her safety as well as the safety of her children. In addition to the abuse, friends of the couple did know that in months preceding Robert's death that there were marital problems. Although no one seemed to be aware of the abuse, and Nancy herself would later say that she, like many other women in this situation, didn't tell anyone about it. The beginnings of the breakdown in the Kissel marriage that their friends did know about started in March of 2003. The SARS outbreak had reached Hong Kong, and many of the American expats decided that the best thing to do would be to return to the U.S. until the outbreak was over, and the Kissels were no exception. Nancy and the kids packed up and went to their vacation home in Vermont, where they stayed for four months. Robert remained behind in Hong Kong to continue to work, but he would visit the family in Vermont on a few occasions. While Nancy and the children were in Vermont, there was some electrical work being done on the property by an electrician named Michael. Nancy and Michael became close during this period, and their relationship culminated in an affair. Robert became suspicious of Nancy and installed spyware on their computers during a brief visit, and he hired a private investigator to follow his family in Vermont. Nancy and Michael exchanged a number of emails in which their affair became evident. Robert told Nancy that he knew about the affair while they were still staying in Vermont and asked if she and the children would come back to Hong Kong. The two exchanged several emails discussing the issues within their marriage and how they should move forward. Ultimately, the family returned to Hong Kong in July of 2003, and at some point Robert consulted a divorce attorney. Despite the breakdown of their marriage, the two were still living together in early November 2003. On November 2nd, in the early afternoon, the Kissel's friend Andrew Tanzer brought his daughter to their apartment to play with the Kissel children. When he was getting ready to leave, Tanzer and Robert were offered a milkshake, which they both accepted. After Tanzer drank the milkshake, he returned home and started feeling noticeably out of sorts. He had not drank any alcohol that day, but he said when he got home, he felt like he was drunk and blacked out. 
According to his wife, she was unable to wake him even when she yelled in his face. When he woke up the next day, he said he felt disoriented and he had no memory of anything after 4 p.m. the day previously, which was around the time that he drank the milkshake at the Kissels. Meanwhile, no one had heard from Robert. On November 2nd, after Tanzer left the Kissel apartment, Robert called a work colleague who noted that Robert sounded off and was slightly slurring his words. Robert told his colleague that he was very tired, but he would talk to him later, since they had an important work call scheduled for later in the evening. Robert ended up missing that call. The police were notified when no one from work heard from Robert for four days. Investigators arrived at the Kissel apartment to check on his whereabouts, and they also conducted a full search of the apartment. They discovered Robert's body covered in plastic and rolled up in a large rug in the Kissel's storage unit downstairs. He had been bludgeoned to death, and according to authorities, Nancy did not inform them of the storage unit when she was first questioned by them. She told them that she had not seen or heard from Robert since he left the home after a violent argument four days earlier. Investigators also found out that the day before, Nancy had arranged for the building's maintenance staff to take several items, including a large rolled-up rug, to their storage unit. Investigators believed that she rolled Robert's body up herself and staged the move with the maintenance staff to cover her tracks. In addition to this, Nancy also purchased bleach, a new carpet, and new bedding, a move many believe served to further cover up Robert's murder. Nancy was arrested on November 6, 2003, and charged with killing Robert. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little damage. Time. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improved jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firm lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Nancy's arrest stunned their friends and family. Those who knew of the marital issues between the two didn't think that it would end in murder. Nancy herself was very active in her children's lives, particularly at their school. 
So acquaintances had trouble reconciling the PTA mom who loved to organize events with the cold-blooded crime that she was being accused of. To most, the Kissels seemed like everyone else. Robert's job was high stress and kept him away from his family too often, and Nancy made up for their lack of time together with volunteer work and devoting her life to her children. It didn't seem like the perfect situation, but it did seem like a far cry from murder. The arrest was covered extensively in the Hong Kong press, and it was the stuff of tabloid dreams, the crumbling of a marriage of an incredibly wealthy couple that ended in murder in a foreign country. In some minds, Nancy could have afforded anything she wanted even after the divorce, yet she risked prison time to get away from her husband. Nancy's trial lasted over two months, and she was the main witness for the defense. While on the stand, she painted a horrific picture for the jury. Nancy testified that her marriage to Robert had been troubled for years. According to her, he had a very serious problem with cocaine and alcohol, and when he was using, he would behave violently towards her. She said that he started using cocaine while in grad school in New York, but once they moved abroad, he developed a full-blown addiction. She mentioned a specific incident from 2001 when she sought medical treatment for a broken rib that was a result of abuse from Robert, but she did say that she didn't tell the hospital staff how she got the injury. In another instance, on vacation in 2002, Robert allegedly struck her across the face so hard that she fell down a flight of stairs. In addition to physical abuse, Nancy also testified that she was subjected to extreme sexual abuse from Robert as well. She said these instances of rape would occur when Robert had been drinking and using drugs excessively. According to Nancy, she began putting small amounts of Ambien in his alcohol while they were in Vermont in an attempt to stop the attacks that would occur when Robert had too much to drink. Robert's friends testified that he did mention that he believed that his drinks had been tampered with because he would feel enhanced effects from drinking a relatively little amount of alcohol. This was also around the time that he suspected that Nancy was cheating on him, so he discussed this in his desire to hire a private investigator to watch her with his friends. On the stand, Nancy admitted to her affair with Michael. When Tanzer and Robert drank their milkshakes on the afternoon of November 2nd, Nancy was asked what was in it, to which she replied to them that it was a secret recipe. After Tanzer left, the Kissel's nanny took the children out of the apartment for a couple of hours. It's in this time period, Nancy claimed, that a violent argument occurred, and Robert told her that he planned to leave her and take the children. She originally told her friends, family, and police that Robert had left after this fight, but on the stand, she admitted that she killed him. She said that she bludgeoned him to death with a statue that belonged to her grandmother, and she said that she did so as a result of the extreme abuse she had suffered at his hands for years. Her legal team argued that she committed the crime but had diminished capacity to understand her actions due to the abusive conditions she was living in. The defense carefully laid out evidence that Robert was severely abusing Nancy, and when she felt she had nowhere else to turn, she killed him to protect herself and her children. 
Unfortunately, this evidence was only backed up by Nancy's testimony, as she, like many abused women, did not confide in anyone about what was going on behind closed doors. The prosecution took a different approach. Armed with a trove of evidence from information collected from the spyware on the Kissel's computers, they painted a much different picture of Nancy. In late summer of 2003, Nancy had several searches on her computer for medications that would cause a heart attack if someone took too much of it. The prosecution used this as evidence of Nancy's premeditation, but Nancy later claimed that she searched for this because she intended to kill herself, but she didn't want her children to know what she had done, so she wanted it to look like a heart attack. Nancy said she attempted to kill herself on two separate occasions, but she did not seek medical treatment after and did not tell anyone about what she had done. The prosecution also refuted the abuse allegations made by Nancy. Nancy, who admitted that she did not tell anyone about the abuse, did not have anyone who could corroborate her claims. Some of her friends did testify that they saw bruises on Nancy, but they did not know where they came from. The prosecution brought forward several character witnesses who testified that Robert was a hardworking man who loved his family. And while they testified that they knew that there were serious issues regarding trust in their marriage, they did not suspect abuse. Starting in August 2003, Nancy began gathering sleeping pills and sedatives from various pharmacies. By the end of October, she had amassed over 70 tablets of five different types of medication, including Rehypnol, which is commonly known as a roofie. Some of these pills Nancy said that she used in her suicide attempts before making herself throw up. Robert did confide in one friend that he was afraid that Nancy was poisoning him in Hong Kong. He said that he drank whiskey from a bottle in their home and believed that it had been laced with something. Nancy did admit to lacing his drink in Vermont in an attempt to lessen his abuse, but denied that she did this once they returned to Hong Kong. The prosecution also put the doctor who observed Nancy at the hospital on the stand. He said that she showed him bruises and complained of rib injuries that were as a result of her final fight with Robert. But it was the doctor's opinion that the bruises were no more than three days old. At that point, Robert had been dead for five days. In addition, he found no rib fractures and noted that he was of the opinion that Nancy was playing up her injuries and pain. The defense called an additional doctor who has treated Nancy, and he testified that he did not believe that she was making up her pain or her symptoms. But unfortunately, in the jury's eyes, neither doctor offered definitive proof either way, just two differing opinions, and neither were backed up by concrete fact. This was the same issue that the defense and prosecution arguments had overall. It was essentially a giant trial of he said, she said, and there was no irrefutable evidence that Robert was abusing Nancy, just like there was no irrefutable evidence that he wasn't. The only certainty on record was that Nancy had killed Robert, but then the question just became trying to figure out the why. 
The trial itself lasted 66 days before it went to the jury, and Nancy herself spent the equivalent of a couple of weeks on the stand. The jury of five men and two women deliberated for eight hours before returning a unanimous verdict on September 1, 2005. They found Nancy guilty of the murder of Robert, and in Hong Kong, murder carries a life sentence, so Nancy was transferred to the Thai Lam Center for Women. Her conviction was appealed on multiple grounds in 2008. This appeal was unsuccessful, but her legal team continued to work to get her a new trial. Their efforts were ultimately successful in March of 2010 when she was re-indicted on the murder charge. She attempted to plead guilty to a lesser charge of manslaughter due to diminished capacity from years of abuse from Robert. The prosecution claimed that Nancy wanted Robert dead so she could run away with Michael and keep the majority of their finances intact. In March of 2011, a jury of seven women and two men found Nancy guilty of murder again, and she was resentenced to life in prison. In early 2014, the Court of Final Appeals in Hong Kong refused to allow any additional appeals from her 2011 retrial. Nancy Kissel remains incarcerated in the Thailand Center for Women, where she is serving out her life sentence. With their father murdered and their mother in prison, the custody of the Kissel children became a point of contention with their remaining family members. A bitter fight ensued, and the children were placed in the custody of Nancy's brother. Eventually, custody was awarded to Robert's brother Andrew in the mid-2000s. Andrew Kissel was Robert's older brother, who was a real estate developer based in Connecticut. On April 3, 2006, he was found murdered in the home that he rented in Greenwich, Connecticut. In the aftermath of his death, it was discovered that he had been covering up for a multitude of fraudulent activities and had been scamming people out of millions of dollars for years. He stole over $3 million from a co-op board where he served as treasurer for a luxury apartment building in New York City. When it quickly became apparent that the cards were folding around him, Andrew's relationship with his wife, which was already strained, deteriorated further. They were moving out of the house that Andrew was ultimately murdered in due to failure to pay rent for over six months. At the time of Andrew's death, he was separated from his wife, and his business and accumulated wealth were slipping away. Despite no apparent motive, there was plenty to speculate about. In March of 2008, Andrew's chauffeur, a man named Carlos Trujillo, and several of his family members were arrested for his murder. Carlos was ultimately acquitted on the murder charge because the jury had a hard time with the prosecution's theory. Basically, there was no clear-cut reason that Andrew was murdered, but there was also no shortage of people who had major issues with him. The prosecution tried to claim that Carlos was in on a money laundering scheme with Andrew, but it didn't hold much water with the jury. Carlos was convicted of attempted murder, served his sentence, and then was released and deported back to his home country of Colombia. The true motive for Andrew's murder remains unknown. And that wraps up the show for this week. Thank you so much for listening. 
For more information on the episode, visit misconductpodcast.com. You'll find links to source material and further reading on this episode and more information about misconduct. If you have a second, head on over to my social media pages and let me know what you think about this week's episode and share your thoughts and opinions with other listeners. You can find me on Instagram and Twitter at misconductpod. And finally, if you have a case you would like to see covered, I recently added a case submission tab to my website. You can find a link to it in the show notes, and I really like taking suggestions from listeners, so if you submit a case, I will do my best to cover it on a future episode. Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M dot com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com.